0: Hello and welcome to Yalta Sonstein, the podcast show that delves into all things CNS, ATM and ATSEP, with me, your host, Edward Fullerton. In the studio for episode four, we're joined by the Senior Director of Safety Assurance and Service Operations from Aerion. Our previous roles have included Air Traffic Control Officer, and also many other safety, legislative, and compliance roles, as well as an ANS inspector. So now, if I could just ask you to introduce yourself to the Hjalta Solnstein listeners.
1: Okay, so my name is Sinead McCluskey. Uh, I'm an air traffic controller by trade, although I haven't worn a headset for many years. I started my career uh, way back in 1988, I believe. I was an operational air traffic controller in uh, the UK, both um, in Belfast International to begin with. And then I moved across to Aberdeen uh, Airport, where I spent a number of years, both tower and approach control rated. I moved from Aberdeen to Dubai International um, Airport back in 2001. Again, I was operational tower and and, uh, radar there before I started to move into the the, sort of the safety domain of aviation safety, safety investigation, that sort of thing. And I moved from from Dubai then and took a job with the UK Civil Aviation Authority uh, as an ATS inspector, where I was then involved with uh, licensing and auditing of airports for compliance against what was then the UK regulation. Did that for a couple of years, and then I actually moved back again to Dubai for about another nine years after that. And I took up a um, safety role, so managers, you know, safety manager. And then we went through a certification process in the UAE of certifying the airport. So, so we were. I was pretty much the. If you like the regulatory point of contact for certifying the airports, both for Al Maktoum International and then Dubai International, I held various roles then of head of compliance and safety uh, before I moved into an assurance role with Dubai Air Navigation Services. Again, I was effectively overseeing all of the assurance activities, so health and safety auditing. The safety, safety compliance, and then and then we started to move into the security aspects as well. But but that sort of that I left before we fully integrated the security piece. Um, and um, I left Dubai in 2017. I decided that I wanted to go back into a role where I, I laugh now because I went, I wanted to go into a role where I either wore a headset again I put on my headset and I I spoke to airplanes again or I in my words rolled up my sleeves and got my hands dirty in safety again so I moved back to temporarily in the UK because I had a couple of you know potential opportunities back back in the UK with with um, in air traffic control and then the uh, opportunity with Aerion presented itself and it had been around for a couple of months but Hadn't really taken it very seriously because they they insisted, or one of the criteria for for applying was that you had to be a U.S. citizen, and obviously you can hear from my accent, I'm 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 not a U.S. citizen, and I'm not from the U.S. and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So
0: really, you surprised me.
1: I do, I know exactly, exactly, and people people still say to me now because I'm now I'm actually now um, my home base is in in Italy and the in you know in the European Union. And that's another long story about how I ended up here. But um yeah, it confuses everyone. When you work for an American company, you've got an Irish accent and you live in Italy. So it's a, it's a it's a, good, it's a good conversation starter. So yeah, I started working with Arion. I applied for what the role was advertised as safety manager again. Um, and once I started in that role, I realized that it, one had sort of fallen into a position that had almost been written for my skill set, if you like, because there needed to be an air traffic depth of knowledge there because we were dealing with, our, our customers were air traffic controllers. But we also, Aerion had also chosen a path to go down a European Union EASA certification for the system. So again, it's it, people are still surprised that it is not certified by the FAA and the FAA aren't even customers of Aerion's, even though it is a US-based company. But we chose what we felt was almost the the... more rigorous route of an EASA certification and we are certified as an ATM ANS provider so we are we are actually a provider of surveillance um, and it's surveillance as a service so it's 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 actually unique in that we're we're not an air traffic organization for sure but also EASA had never certified this as a particular service or surveillance as a a service before so there was a, a lot of learning opportunities on both sides as we sort of stepped our way through which pieces of the European Union regulation applied to a company like Arion. Um, And then, you know, tripping over little bits of the regulation that when the high level piece applied, but then when you dug down into the depths of it, it was, well, if I talk about occurrence reporting, for example, Arion doesn't deal with how Far aircraft were apart. What was the missed distance? What was the risk? What was the you know where was the location? Because it's a global service, and we operate and maintain a service that is used by air traffic controllers. So there was you know we we had a couple of negotiations, if you like, that we had to do with our our IASA colleagues to to actually get us to the point where we were certified in in twenty nineteen. And so my role my role, which started off as safety manager, became almost like a consultative in translating European regulations and how what that actually meant and what compliance, how you could demonstrate compliance to get us to the point where we had the correct documentation that EASA had audited and and gone through uh, and agreed that we were compliant with certain, you know, with all of the regulations that were applicable. And then since that point since 2019 and we went operational first on the north atlantic tracks it's been then the ongoing oversight and the surveillance audits by easa to maintain that certification just in 2020 then i also branched out a little bit if you like and took over some of the operation side of of Aerion as well now it's not operations in the same way of a traditional air traffic organization for sure we have a um a service desk if you like that is a 24-hour service desk 365 days of the year that uh, that supports the service and supports our customers so when it comes to monitoring the system monitoring not so much the constellation but potentially some of our the hosted payloads where our data comes from then that's the part that from our operation side of things that's um what we do so we 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 support our customers with the 24-hour Service desk, where with, with that is constantly monitoring the system and monitoring the health of the system. So, I have I have a foot in two camps at the moment. So it's a bit unusual in that regard. But uh yeah, it's and it and it's a challenge. It continues to be a challenge for sure.
0: So it's it, it really is. I mean, I remember speaking to you a few years back before you had mm. the certification, and we were talking about some of the European documents and that. And it was like exactly what you said there. Arion sort of fitted in, but not quite. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're not an ANSP, but you are. You sort of I suppose in the old days, the closest you could get to it would be like a remote radar head with no air traffic control responsibility. <laughs> that's you know, it. feeding your service. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it is it's a very <clears throat> unique unique position to, to be in. It's good though, because you get to set the standard.
1: It is. So we, we definitely have been trailblazers in that regard, even, and uh, you know, what that you touched on a little bit there, that, that was another one of the little yeah. anomalies that we had to dance our way around was the ATSEP regulations, if you like, yeah. because the definition of ATSEP is, you know, personnel, air traffic safety electronics personnel who operate and maintain a system that is used by air traffic controllers. Yeah. So we, we operate and maintain a system that is used by air traffic controllers. But we are we are not the traditional or conventional air traffic engineers. Um far from it, you know. So so the, the, the guys within air guys and girls within area have never been on an airfield, for example, to work as an ATSEP, but they do, you know, they are responsible. There's a lot of like software software engineers, software developers, system developers. Um, but they don't necessarily even come from an aviation background. So again, the ATSEP regulation was a particular challenge. We had to sit through all of the European regulation, all of the ICAO guidance, and then pick out which bits we felt were relevant and appropriate and negotiate that with the, with the ASA again to say, Okay. Does this fit with you know? Do you agree that we don't need to do the communications piece because we don't deal with communications? We don't need to do navigation piece because again we don't deal with navigation. The surveillance piece. Okay, some of this is relevant, but not all of it. And and here are the bits that we think are relevant. So you know, it was very much a partnership with the at the time to to get to get to that stage.
0: And do you? Yeah. I mean, have you resolved all those issues now? Because uh, we did have that conversation before. I don't know. It's very mm. complex.
1: Yeah, and we did. We have resolved those now. You know, we're it's a pretty young service in 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 that regard. So we've been operational since, um, like I say, twenty nineteen with it, and it it evolves. And as 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 it has evolved, then we've gotten, if you like, more knowledgeable both about how the system performs and and also which bits are relevant. Because the, the added complication, if you like, of doing of area going live was it was a, a greenfield operation. I it's a term that I was familiar with having worked as a regulator, but not a lot of people actually realize what that entails because a lot of our aviation regulations are written for a, a system or a service that has existed for many years. And now you're going to do something new. So, but you still have to apply and, and comply with the regulation. So, how do you do that? So, a lot of the time you're writing documentation. In anticipation of how you think it's going to work and then you spend once you actually get live with it and are using it and are hands-on with it then you think actually that doesn't make a lot of sense or that doesn't actually reflect what we do so you're constantly changing it and upgrading it so so yes we're, we're, it is it has settled down in that we are in in a more mature cadence for sure of of how we make changes and how we deal with the regulator and we have a we have a really excellent team in Easa as well who do work with us rather than you know that it's it's not a constant challenge if you like they are quite happy to consult on certain aspects and help us along in that journey you know so it's an interesting uh, certainly an interesting situation yeah,
0: it's it's a massive massive undertaking because it's not only like dealing with an as anSP like you normally would or a, a regulator you're global, you're working like multi jurisdiction, all over all over the place with multiple different levels of expectation. It's a hell of a hell of a big, a big job, I think probably, maybe not quite understood to be such a big job by people who are not in the industry. But it Mm -hmm. is a a huge, I take my hat off to you to be able to remember all those and do the documents. (laughs) With <laughs> well,
1: it's been interesting as well because you know air traffic controllers speak in acronyms anyway. Anybody in the ATC yeah. world knows all the acronyms. Yeah. And then I joined ariel and they have a whole—they have a whole different set of acronyms, you know. So there's a—it's it, a—it's it, been it's certainly been interesting. It's been an education for me, and a, and a very steep learning curve for me too, because you know this is a world that I didn't have previous experience in. Yes, the the ATC and the regulation piece, yes, but satellite operation hosted payloads how we deal with data that that was all new to me so you know it was um trying to take my knowledge and and translate it and and then also to have enough of my own understanding to say okay are we are we compliant with that regulation now because we're talking about an area that was not certainly where my expertise came from you know so
0: so look at that area then as a provider of uh, automatic dependent surveillance broadcast, or ADSB, as we refer to it. I mean, it is the first sort of major shakeup. As you said, it's a, a greenfield system, so it's the first one of that of its kind, like major one, in a very long time. Because all our other systems really, like you say, have evolved through time. But this is something totally new. Because previously, our surveillance mm-hmm. was done by radars, be it primary, be it secondary. But currently, as with that all coming on board and different comp, uh, sovereign territories beginning to accept these new systems and put, implement it, uh, what is the current status around the world then with ADSB ad, uh, adaptation and adoption?
1: So, some of the, some of the, if you like, from an Arian perspective, we can sometimes be a little bit hampered simply because of the state adoption and adsb mandates so you know the next few years should see a lot more mandated adsb carriage and equipment carriage and upgrade things like that but at the moment we we say we've got you know pretty much about 70 percent of the world's airspace is, is covered with with space-based adsb or with by our customers who, who operate the adsb uh, we have about twenty customers as well, and that's that's in various uses you, you know use um, usage stories, I, I should say, of how they use it. Some use it for for surveillance. then we have various other products with regards to flow management, um historical aircraft data, et cetera, et cetera. but yeah, it's um it's becoming better. Obviously we, we suffered through the pandemic the same as everyone else. You know, there were our ANSP customers who may have been in the pipeline. Everybody had to take a step back. You know, there, there was there were no aircraft flying and therefore there was no reason to buy new technology. Some you know, some took advantage and some took a step back to say, We need to see how this all pans out. So yeah. Um but uh we, we are sort of the more and more it's in use, and certainly from my perspective, it's what kept me interested in it, and what got me interested in the first place. It was the newest thing I'd seen in air traffic control, in you know, in in certainly in my time, um, because everything else was a an iteration of something that previously existed, whereas this was a completely new concept to provide surveillance as a service. Opens up for for other ANSPs the prospect of potentially not funding and not having to f- to to fund conventional radar sites, not to, to not to plan in um, and budget for radar upgrades and you know re- radar replacements. It's a it's a subscription service, if you like that that we can provide sur- the the surveillance that you do not need that ground infrastructure. Some some ANSPs use it. Almost like an alternative or an additional surveillance source, and, and it's implemented into their platform along with existing primary or secondary sources. It's considered just an additional source and it's and it's taken in that way. Some are um you subuse it as sole source. So, like you say, some of the areas that you've you've had experience in in the world where they previously had no surveillance because of. The geography of the of the, the the location, um, or the 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 terrain, for example, the beauty of of space based ADSB is it is not hampered by line of sight or terrain. It is because it ta- it comes from space. There is nothing in its way, effectively, and therefore areas that could not have conventional radar before now have a surveillance picture. So where they previously didn't.
0: As a radar engineer myself, um, I can see that. Huge benefits in that, and, and yep. like to say, because it it completely does away with the restrictions that's imposed on us, which we cannot avoid, like terrain, you know, mountainous exactly. areas, um, even things down to areas which are just difficult to get to in the middle of nowhere. You know, if yep. you have uh, some of the more remote areas, like areas over, um, I mean, I, I'm picking like central Australia just as an example. I don't know if you're operating there or not, but. Central Australia historically was a big black hole, you know, of very Mm -hmm. little there because Uh you couldn't even, I mean, the radar could work there, but in order to send a maintenance team to go and fix it would be days, you know, whereas with these um, ADSB space-based technology, we're starting to, we're removing a lot of the the manpower as well requirements. So it it opens up, uh, it's a complete transformation of the airspace really.
1: Yep, I mean you're right about the remote areas. There's some some areas in the world that that was always the challenge is where do you site a radar head, and then how do you how yeah. do you maintain a radar head? This is removed with that for sure. If some some areas of certain parts of the world where the security of sites, for example, couldn't be couldn't be maintained, where you could have infrastructure, you could have equipment installed, and it could be stolen overnight it could be removed yeah, yeah. overnight so it so happens. those sorts of things it happens it has happened very recently <laughs> in a certain place um but it, it's the fact now that you can you can operate that and uh, you know the the equipment the ground-based equipment that you require to have space-based adsb is no more than a than a server and a router in your engineering rack already in your air traffic facility. So you do you don't. That's the beauty of it. It is. It's a. It's a, a. A. data. You know. It's a source of data, if you like. It does not require that maintenance. And and if you already have a facility that, you know, that is protected enough to allow as uh, an air traffic service to be to be operated from it, that you require no more than that because it is literally just servers and routers. Um, and and that's why we call it a service delivery point, but it's actually it's a server and and a series of routers that effectively allow you to take that data feed from Areon over 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 the internet, you know, di- over a, over a, a digital fiber, over a telephone line, effectively, and plug it in. So you know, it's a
0: it's revolutionary. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, if, from that then with the in, the information the data, I mean, I've had a look at ADSB and the the data. It's huge—the amount of data coming from the aircraft and everything flying back and forth around the world all the time. But what sort of systems have you got in place then, like for quality checking? Have you got methods mm-hmm. or algorithms which check the the integrity mm-hmm. of your your information? Yeah. Yes,
1: indeed. So we, we work to three wow. main three main performance indicators as per as per the standards and 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 for the requirements to be able to provide to use it for for separation services if you like so that's the distinction we make sometimes is is it being used to separate aircraft or is it just being used as informational so for for separating aircraft there are certain parameters um and we monitor constantly for now we've chosen um like a a probability of update which is eight seconds across for 96 percent of the, the time the the latency is that it should be you know one and a half seconds but again we 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 usually achieve that in about half a second bearing in mind that for surveillance purposes it's got to be you know under two seconds for you know from from aircraft transmission to to controller display
0: um
1: and and the other one that we we monitor is our availability so we we work to a three nines um availability as well and so that's constantly that's monitored by certainly by um some of the engineers but but by our service desk, that is one of their pre, their their principal tasks is monitoring the systems that we have that do that, and reacting if anything comes out of those parameters. So, um, and that's how we maintain that it is still safe to use for air traffic purposes, if you like. Because if we start to see any deviation in that part of the service desk role, is then they notify the customer to say we have you know either there's a discrepancy or there's an issue here. Um, and and. Again it depends very much on the customer as to we allow them to decide what they want to do. You know they have procedures in place for how they use it or if there's anything that's showing any sort of deterioration in service or de- deterioration in performance, then they, they decide you know how they want to use that.
0: Yeah, so the, the infrastructure of the ADSB system naturally lends itself to a very good quality end product. Because of the fact that it's not a single, it's not a single satellite providing to a single receiver, everything is multi. Everything is multiple. So in order yeah. to have a significant sort of degradation in service, there is a lot of holes that need to line up. So, yeah. like, you know, fingers crossed, we don't get that. Well, Obviously, everything is possible, but uh, mm-hmm. it limits the the chance of that. Which is from an air traffic point of view, very good. Yeah,
1: indeed, indeed. Um, the you know the, the, this is the it's a bit it's again one of the little odd things about this as a service if you have a problem with a conventional radar and the radar switches off if you like then you yes you may have redundancy but at the end of the day your data feed stops that's that's effectively yeah. what it is the the Aerion system is based on on um, a network of 66 satellites that are constantly moving so if one of those satellites goes out there's still 65 others that are still still receiving data yeah um, and also what what people struggle to sometimes get their heads around is the satellite is moving also. So just because there is an outage in one part of the world, 20 minutes later, that outage, that hole has been filled because it's constantly yeah. moving. And again, that's something that, you know, part of our job and, and my team's job on the safety side was how do you document that in a safety assurance case that says this is still an acceptable risk if you're using this because how do you write this in? That bit's never been done before, as far as I'm aware, either. That that you're writing, you're writing a, a safety case around a system that is constantly moving, uh, and uh, you know yeah. globally as well. So you've got the overlap between satellites as well, which means some areas of the world are 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 covered better than others. So our equatorial regions are not as well covered simply because of the geography and the way that the, the the um the planes operate with the the satellites within those, but again the how we respond and how we react to a customer then is dictated by that as well. So we constantly we have that constantly mapped. We're constantly monitoring the the global coverage, and we can see which customer would be impacted by a particular outage, so that we can we can notify that in advance as well.
0: Yeah, I, I certainly can't think of any other system which has sixty 66- six feeds and 65 backups, I mean, yeah. it's usually <laughs> it's one main one main one standby and possibly an emergency, you know, for our most important system. Exactly. So it is, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as a as a tool, the, the areas which rely on it, totally uh, yeah. areas like for example, I mentioned to you before the Seychelles, for example, yes. who had no surveillance before, even if they do lose it for 20 minutes, that their mitigation is they have different procedures to go through. They've done that for years. You know, so it's still better. as nothing.
1: Absolutely, one hundred percent. And you know, we've even if all you can do is use this, use the information that you're getting for situational awareness. So even if even if you're not getting an update interval in your part of the world, for example, that allows you to use full on surveillance for separation, it's still information, and it's information that you didn't have before. And you ask any controller yeah. in the world um, that they, they'll rather see something than not see it. And if I can take some of the information there and it, and it helps my my decision making, I'm not separating with it, but it's helping me plan and decide, then then that's always going to be better than nothing for sure.
0: Well, exactly. That's key thing there is for for once, then the people who didn't have that information before now, even with a failure, they have like situational awareness in the real time. So even yes, if they even if it. they've lost like their ability to do separations, they still have the real time information about what's happening around them. Didn't have that before. Before it was intentional information only from flight plans, you know, in that sort of situation. Exactly. So now it's it's absolutely hundred percent a a good thing in in, mm-hmm. in my mm-hmm. eyes, it seems very, very mm-hmm. good. But looking looking at that uh, so we can identify clearly that there is obviously many benefits and also some challenges with it. But I mean Geo- geographical issues as well uh, you know the the def- the difficulty in traditional surveillance being installed in different parts of the world, and how adsB can help mitigate some of that to you know give people surveillance in different areas where traditionally we just couldn't do it but thinking about then the uh, you mentioned about the constellations of the satellites and that you know doing doing the job providing the service. How do you how do you manage that from a political perspective with obviously, you know, as we're all aware, there's things going on in the world at the moment, which maybe has impact on different things. And I mean, you are relying a lot on other providers to give you that information. So how do you manage that sort of part of it?
1: So, well, we partner with, with we have two main vendor suppliers or support, you know, that, that support the Aerion um, service. and um, So the Iridium Constellation, they are the individuals that own the, the satellites and they operate the satellites, which is a global service. We have a, a hosted payload on that satellite, then that's where our data comes from. Now, when it comes to politically, um, before we can sign a contract with an ANSP, for example, we have to to make sure that that we're we're staying within all of the the legal requirements. Um, usually, when we provide a contract to a customer, and it's it's across their what we call their service volume, but it's an FIR flight information region. To, you know, to in our terms, we would, there would there's an automatic buffer zone, if you like, that's that's covered around that. Now, sometimes the buffer zones give us give us those problems because. Buffer zone by definition is extends into someone else's airspace, so we have to make sure that the those agreements and those arrangements have already been in existence, and 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 everyone is is in agreement. There are some countries who do not want to share even fifty nautical miles into their airspace, and so we have arrangements there as well where we filter, you know, we can filter data, we can filter certain aircraft if we have to, um, and certainly there are some rules that we apply through. Through the U.S. government side of things about about sensitive aircraft filtering and etc. But yeah, it's a it's a long drawn out process to actually start that initial conversation about bringing an Arion as a contract, um, or as a service, and then finally signing the ser- signing the contract, and then the next stage is the actual implementation. Getting all of the the information set up before a customer can act will actually go live with it. So there's plenty of opportunity to get all of those little nuances um, ironed out. Um, but yeah, the political piece of it can sometimes be a bit challenging for sure, and it can sometimes be a couple of years. Having those conversations with an organisation before we even get to the point where they sign a contract or even go operational with it. So yeah, there's a there's a couple of uh, little interesting ones in there.
0: And again, you find yourself dealing with another unique situation because it's not <laughs> yes. there's, there's nothing else that does it. So like That's you're it. you're basically in a way you're reinventing the wheel because we're having the same end product but a different way of doing it. You know, it's it is uh, a bit of a challenge for you, Sinead.
1: It is. And it's interesting because we, we you know, we, we hold the EASA certification, but we've also we're also fully aware, if you like, that any country in the world who who is outside the European Union reserves the right, if you like, to certify us independently as well. Now we're lucky so far in that any of those other ANSPs outside the European Union tend to accept, or their regulator will work with EASA to understand the certification process that was followed, and then accept the fact that that we, you know, that we meet that certification standard, or that they are satisfied with the work that was done. But it's all it it remains a possibility that someone, some country, could say, actually, we want to take this all the way back to from scratch and do our own certification process. Um, so that's one element of it. There is because the reverse of that is you can also get individuals that say yes, but we're not part of we're not part of Europe. So how does this apply to me? How does this you know why should this apply to me? We're not part of Europe. Um, the European regulations don't apply. So we we are careful through our safety work and safety case work that we also meet the ICAO requirements as well. So so at least you know if the ICAO standards and recommended practices are applied internationally across all nations we 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 like to say we meet or exceed where, where it's a regulation or a standard and recommended practice so that's how we we offset it but every country like you say every single one of them is a challenge we we are very careful to say we have we have a safety assessment or a safety um support assessment for area on service when we then go to uh, an individual or independent ansp we say now you really require your own internal safety assessment as to how to deal with how you're going to use the area on service. We have assured from you know from, from the aircraft to, to delivery at your service delivery point. Now you need to, to cover the bit of how you implement from service delivery point to the controller workstation. Um, and, and it really depends on a lot of things. It depends on how the controllers are going to use it it concern you know um the platform that is in use and um potentially even the country and 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 where they are you know what what do they have available so we're constantly branching out into breakout products if you like that sometimes are just situational awareness products but we're finding that they are they're proving very popular because like we said before rather see something than see nothing.
0: Also, you have a, a slight. Not necessarily a traffic control, but like just situational awareness or even just a fun aspect to it too, where you notice if you go onto some of the websites like Flight Radar 24 you've got all the AS, ASB feeds into that as well, which anybody yeah. can go on at any time, anywhere in, well, most places in the world. Have a look, click on an aircraft and you will yeah. see which source Precisely. the surveillance information is coming from. And more and more now, I'm seeing it's coming from ADSB providers. So it's coming up in that as well. So, having a, a think about it, is there any um, sort of what you can see in the next sort of two, three years in the future, any significant changes that's going to be happening with um, within the industry?
1: So, I think the
0: biggest one is going to be so the the, the equipage, the
1: ADSB equipage is obviously uh, a critical part to to Arion's success. If 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 an aircraft is not ADSB equipped, Aeron doesn't see it. So there is there is yep. that sort of shortfall with the Arion, um surveillance service. The aircraft must be ADSB equipped for us to see it. So until states actually properly mandate that, and different states do this at very at different rates, then we have an issue with with how much we can see and where. The other side of that that we have the di- the other if you like problem or challenge that we have is there are certain highly populated parts of the world um, where they have more I would, I would go as far as to say more conventional radars than is actually required but for every interrogation of, of of an aircraft by a conventional radar it effectively it weakens the signal and then the update interval that we can then pick up of, of the aircraft transmission gets weakened and reduced so there are areas yeah. across across Europe um across um North America and parts of China where, you have a lot of air traffic. You have a lot of conventional radars, all of which are interrogating the same aircraft. And then, and, and the aircraft, you know, there's only so many transmissions to go around, if you like. Um, yeah. And so there's got to be a move. I think there has to be a move forward where some of these highly populated uh, regions realize that. They need to start reducing the number of conventional radars, or at least reducing and policing better the the number of interrogations of a particular aircraft. There's, you know, there are some airports in Europe that um have several radars situated around both the airfield and the surrounding area. Various applications and tools, whether it be you know A-man, whether it be collaborative decision making, whatever, or or just your standard surveillance. And each one of those is taking a, a, you know, is doing its own interrogation. Well, do you need do you need to interrogate for all of those different applications, or is one application one interrogation and the use of that 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 signal multiple times could 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 improve the situation? So we get a lot of issues over Europe, and it's it's fruit, it's it's garbling, and it's it's a lot of like I say, the high intensity um activity where it weakens our signal. So our so. Our service is not very useful in North America, certain parts of North America, or in parts of Central Europe, simply because we can't meet the update interval that would uh, that you, is required for surveillance. However, it still is useful for for flow management information, for situational awareness, etc. Because the information is still there, it's just not being updated at the at the um, at the rate that it should be to use it in in for separation services
0: yeah the the sort of ironic thing there is that if they reduce the number of their traditional radars then the optic speed would increase um <laughs> i mean exactly. i know from uh, i did a survey of radar coverage over europe and you're absolutely right there is areas which is just smothered in radars and then you have all your conventional atc radars and then you'll double them up with military as well because companies like are military and the civilian but the aircraft doesn't care whether it's military or civilian; it's responding to them all. So, exactly, um, yeah, it, it's a real challenge. And yeah. but the thing is, like, once an, once a radar is somewhere, people don't like to get rid of it. But I think that is changing. I think the yeah. the the perception now of surveillance is becoming ADSB; is a replacement for secondary surveillance potentially. Yeah, and and yeah. maybe not in in total. Because it's always nice to have a different service, but certainly instead of flooding the market with secondary surveillance radar, Rebecca has to flood it with ADSB yeah. and have a few secondary surveillances around actual airports or aerodromes.
1: Yeah, and we do have there are some of our customers, and that is it is um, it's not so much a radar replacement program; it's a radar withdrawal, conventional radar, yeah. you know, yeah, to, yeah, to, yeah. to 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 withdraw those and use ADSB mm-hmm. in its place. So um, it's getting there it is but you know you and I know in, in the aviation world things move slowly
0: things do <laughs> yeah. move slowly
1: um Just a bit. as an air, you know as a as a as a, an air traffic controller it takes a long time to build the trust in a technology to then learn oh, to absolutely. use that particular technology as your as your source so uh, it's going to it's it'll take another you know quite a few more years i think to get there but then when you speak, you know, when Aerion, we we interact with our customers quite regularly as well. But when you hear some of our success stories and some of the feedback that we get, specifically from countries that with very remote airspace that they cover or huge expanses of airspace that they cover that they couldn't cover before because it was impossible to use a conventional radar, you realise that, you know, this this is this is taking off. This is going to be the next big thing, for sure. I mean, it, it is already, but it it's as the confidence in it grows, people. There's more and more people then will you know will engage with it and start to see the benefits in it and realize the benefits in it.
0: So, look, at that just for our listeners on the Alta Sonstein podcast, and if somebody wanted to get into working within ADSB world, be it as an engineer or you know anything in it what is the sort of what's the requirements what's the experience it's looked for because again it's a new it's a new thing we don't know yeah
1: it's a, it's an interesting concept certainly because if you come from an aviation background Ariane's not necessarily the a, a direct transition if you like but um, I mean we have we have obviously we have a lot of support back office of support with you know finance and contract teams. Um we have our service desk tend to be more technical help desk people rather than, than you know than having any background in aviation. And even our our systems engineers and our developers um tend to come from a, from the heavily engineering areas of, of you know of tech. So so yeah. they come from all all types of, of backgrounds having you know but having a systems engineer or software engineering background the safety team currently tends to bring the bulk of the aviation experience because again it's required for that av for that regulation understanding and the compliance aspect as to what that actually translates to. But we so we have we have safety engineers, we have data scientists, we obviously cyber security is a big part of it as well. Now it's a small, small company. We're still only getting to about the hundred person mark. And and I don't know that we're we're not gonna get much, much, much bigger than that. We we may do in, in another five years or so, but because we have another again this is the other thing there's going to be another iteration of aeron that comes through the Arion service because satellites have a have a shelf life in the same way so it's you know we're yeah. constantly we're starting that project now of okay what is our next iteration of the actual system and service look like and and then work that with when and then when are the when will that constellation of satellites require to be replaced So that so that, you know, it's it's constantly moving and iterating forward, which is a little bit of a challenge when it's in space. You know, that's that's the difficult bit. Yeah.
0: That's another challenge for you, Sinead. You're a glutton for punishment.
1: Indeed. And thankfully there's a there's people a lot more clever than I am that
0: are that have that job to figure that one out. So I think it's I mean that's really it's it's all really interesting because it's good to speak about these things which are new, you know, and because we're integrating this brand new system into a very old, test very old. And system, yeah. you know, and old ways of doing things. And as we, as we all know yourself and, and me know, you know, things are changing fast. There's a lot of changes happening within the air traffic services world at the moment in ways of doing things as well and how things yeah. are managed. But it's, it's really quite exciting to have a new technology coming in. Um, and thank you very much for your time today.
1: You're very welcome, Edward. My, my, my pleasure.
0: You've been listening to Hjalta Sonstein Podcasts. Subscribe and follow for further updates.